All right, what's up? How we doing tonight? Hello, everyone, eyes up here, eyes up here, let's go. Wednesday night is the best night of the week, and you made it once again. Give yourselves a pat on the bat and say, you know what, I'm so awesome. Go ahead, tell yourself, you know what, I'm really good. Yeah, that's what we're here for, just encouragement, affirmation, all of these things. Hey, if it is your first time here at Citizens Youth, I am super glad that you've joined us tonight. My name's Noah. I help lead our student ministry here at NGC. And uh, we're a community of students learning to live for Jesus Christ. This isn't a youth group where we just come to hear about the Bible. We want to live it out together. Uh, This isn't a youth group that we just talk about Jesus. We want to worship Jesus in spirit and truth. We're a community of students learning to live for Jesus. And if it's your first time, I would love to meet you. I'd love to say what's up. And you are invited uh, any single Wednesday night of the year, pretty much, because we meet all the time. Okay, uh, open up your Bibles. We are finishing a story tonight. We are finishing a long story that we have been on this journey for a couple weeks now in a series called Dreams and Deliverance, where we've been talking about a character, a man named Joseph. And Joseph was faced with a challenging choice last week, and we left you on a cliffhanger. Can Joseph forgive? Can he forgive the ones that he betrayed? And all throughout this story, we see this man, Joseph, who is, again, not even the main character of the story, because, of course, that's always God, and he's always working out his purposes through everything. But this character, Joseph, God is using him, and he is bringing him through difficulty to actually deliver his people, uh, the people that God has promised to have a relationship with forever. God is using this one character's pain and suffering and difficulty to deliver a whole nation and honestly saved the whole world. It's a very cool story. Um, So open up your Bibles uh, to uh, Genesis chapter 46 as we conclude the story tonight. Let's go. Main idea tonight. I'm excited to share it with you. Uh, So before we begin, um, my wife used to do pottery. Has anyone done pottery in this room? Show, show those pictures I found on the internet. I took these. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I stole them from Google. So uh, people, people do this still. This is like something that humans have been doing for a very, very, very long time. It's using clay to make wonderful ceramics and wonderful things out of clay. And uh, my wife used to do this uh, many, 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 many years ago, it seems like at this point. And she would do this with a couple of her friends. And... I learned something about pottery very quickly, and that's pottery apparently is very hard. It's very difficult. I always just assumed that, like, okay, so you see this picture, and you're like, okay, you just got to, like, hold the, the clay in a certain way as the wheel spins around, and all of a sudden, boom, you've got a cup, or you got a plate, or you got a mug, and then you just throw it in the oven, and it's great. No, that is not the case. It's very difficult. And my wife would, it was so funny, we would hang out afterwards. I'd be like, how was pottery? She's like, I never want to go back to that class ever again. I am so bad at it. It is so difficult, and I just want to make plates. I just want to make mugs. And like every, for like weeks at a time, she'd come home and be like, I was this close to making a mug. And then it all fell apart, right? We all know how that feels, right? You try pottery, the mug doesn't work out, and you're really mad. Anyway, my wife went through this for a number of weeks or months. But eventually, slowly, over time, uh, she got the hang of it. And she actually taught me how to do it. And actually, I made, for this very illustration, my own mug. Do you guys want to see it? Now, I made this... (laughs)
I made, I made this. Here, let me just take this sticker off really quick. Um, it says, made in Noah's house. Okay, I, I, uh, I made this, and it took some time. It took some weeks. It took some months. And you know what I learned in this process is you can actually use uh, broken pieces from former art to make new things, like I totally made this, right? You can use old clay or old ceramics, and you, there's, a way, there's a process in breaking it down and burning it and refining it to use it to make other things, right? I didn't actually make this. This was made in a factory in China, apparently, as the sticker says. But did you know you can actually use broken pieces of ceramic to make new, in some forms of pottery, make new, make new art, all right? And so I thought this was a really fascinating idea, so I thought I would demonstrate for you guys exactly how this works. Now, when you use broken pieces of old art, everyone's like, I can't believe you just did that. Hey, I did it, it's okay. I did it. It's all right. I'm surprised it worked as well as it did, honestly. I was really wondering, because I only had one mug to break, and I was like, well, I just got to do it on stage. Do you know that you can use old pieces of broken pottery, and I'll make sure not to step on this. I probably will, but I've got shoes on. To make something brand new. The creator can use broken pieces to make new art. Now, the funny thing about like inanimate objects like this is uh, this broken piece of this once was mug can't tell me like what to do as a creator. If I wanted to take all these pieces and I said, you know what, I wanna make a nice vase to put in my living room. I wanna burn these things, I wanna like crush it down, burn it and create something new. These pieces of ceramic don't actually have a say. These pieces of ceramic that I've dropped all over the floor don't have a say in what it's going to be or what it's going to become. Now, I'm not a very good artist, and to be honest with you, I didn't make this. But God is a great artist, and God is a great creator. In fact, God is perfect in everything that he does. And when God makes something new, he often makes something new out of broken pieces that we wish were something else. When God does something new in your life, he uses the broken pieces of your life to create something awesome. And we, as his creation, don't always get to tell him exactly. In fact, we don't ever get to tell him uh, our preferences, our desires. Hey, God, could you actually not break me? Because I'd like to remain the way things are. It's a simple idea. We are God's creation and he is the creator, and he uses the broken parts of us to make something new. He uses the broken pieces of what we've been and what we have uh, gone through in order to make us something brand new, and God is a perfect artist. God isn't careless in what he does. God isn't angry or vindictive in the things that you go through. God is perfectly creating something new in you through brokenness. And I think the story of Joseph has shown us this exact thing. The story of Joseph is that though there will be moments in your life where you feel broken, 
there will be moments in your life where you feel like your dreams have been completely shattered. You feel like you yourself have been broken beyond repair. But God the creator is doing something brand new. What if brokenness isn't just for pain? It's for something better. What if there's more for you that the creator has in mind? What if there's a new and a better and more complete creation that God is making out of you through the brokenness of your past? What if this is true for you? What if there's a reality to your pain? What if there's a purpose for your brokenness? What if there is a plan that the creator has in store for you, like he did in the life of Joseph? I want to read this verse before we begin. This is from Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45 says this, Woe to those who quarrel with their maker, those who are nothing but potsherds among the potsherds on the ground, the broken pieces of pottery, the broken down ceramic and clay that is on the grounds. Does the clay say to the potter, what are you making? Does your work say the potter has no hands? All this to say from the prophet Isaiah, we are God's creation and the creation doesn't look to the creator and say, hey, what are you doing? What are you making? Why are you doing this in my life? We may have moments of honesty where we ask those questions all the time, but let me tell you, through the life of Joseph and through the life and through the entire narrative of scripture, God uses your brokenness. God uses your pain and he will create a new thing in and through you. But the question tonight is, are you a broken piece of pottery arguing with the potter or the creator? Are you a creation arguing with the creator? Are you a servant trying to bargain with the living God? Or do you trust God with your life? Do you trust God with your brokenness? Do you trust God with his story in your life? Or are you trying to dictate to God what your story should be? It's a question all of us have to ask in our brokenness. Do I trust that God knows what he's doing? Do I trust that he can repair the broken parts of my life and make it better? That's a question that you have to ask yourself all of the time. And tonight in the final story of Joseph, Joseph has one more choice. Will he forgive the ones who have betrayed him? Will he trust in the God who has brought him through so much and now he is bringing him to the toughest decision he's ever had to make? Will the servant serve the king? How should a piece of clay trust the creator? Joseph shows and reveals to all of us thousands of years later how a servant of God should submit to their king no matter what and trust in the process. That's what Joseph shows us. And in the final words tonight of the book of Genesis, I want you to know this truth, that God will continue to make something beautiful out of the difficulty that you face. God, be with us tonight as we read this, as we understand this, as we dive into your word. Uh, Be with us tonight as we listen to these challenging words and um, guide us, direct us to worship you and to understand who you are 
Uh, you're bigger than we can imagine. You're better than we've ever even thought of. And you have all of us in your perfect plan. It's in Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Here we are in Genesis chapter 46. Genesis chapter 46, or excuse me, 45. Sorry about that. Genesis 45, starting in verse 1. So we saw last week, uh, Benjamin, Ben was, or, uh, Joseph was like, hey, I'm going to keep Benjamin as my servant. And his brother was calling out to him, and he says, please take me instead for my father. He's old. He's going to die if Benjamin leaves. Take me instead. It's in this emotional moment, and here's what Joseph does in response. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried. Joseph's breaking down here in front of everyone, and they probably the brothers are like, why is this guy crying? He says, make everyone go from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that all the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. This guy is crying. He is so upset. He is broken to his core. And Joseph said to his brothers, this is what he says. He says, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? The brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. This is the moment of truth. Joseph reveals himself. The gig is up. The little game he was playing for those five chapters, it's over now. He reveals himself to his brothers. He says, I'm Joseph. It's me. Is my father still alive? A question he was wondering. He was begging this question. Is my father still alive? And his brothers, rightfully so, are dumbfounded, looking at him, understanding and remembering exactly what they did to him. Picturing the moment they chose to betray Joseph. They chose to uh, trade his life for a few pieces of silver. They chose in his perfect innocence to throw him into a pit and betray him. And now they're standing before a king, an innocent king, and they are terrified, I can imagine. It says they couldn't speak. Have you ever been so scared or terrified in your life that you just didn't know what to say? Yeah, think of that moment times a million, and these men are standing before a king. And now I love to say that this is a story about forgiveness. This is a story about faithfulness. This is a story about redemption and deliverance. Yes. But this story and specifically this part of the story gives us a glimpse into the future of how everyone should respond to the king that revealed himself to us. You see, at this moment in the story, we should best see ourselves. I would love to tell you that this story is about Joseph and you should be more like him and you should have integrity and you should forgive. And that is true. But in this exact moment, you and I in this room need to look at this story and put ourselves in the place of the brothers who have betrayed the perfect king who is reigning before him right now. This is where you and I enter into the story. Standing before an innocent king who did nothing wrong, but we betrayed him and we need forgiveness. This is where we find ourselves in the story. This is where we most perfectly see who Joseph is foreshadowing, and that's Jesus himself, betrayed by his brothers, traded for a couple pieces of silver, revealed to be the king that he said he was, and us in need of forgiveness. This is where you and I enter into the story. We're not Joseph. We're certainly not a king. Uh, we're the scumbag brothers. All right, I love you enough to tell you, you are a scumbag brother. No, not really. Maybe. 
We are all sinners in need of a perfect forgiveness from a perfect king. But the question is, will this king forgive? Will this king who has every single right to wipe these brothers out, throw them in prison, kill them off, and nobody would ever ask a single question ever again, will this king forgive? Much like our perfect king, he does. Jesus humbled as a servant and elevated to a king has revealed himself to all of creation. All of creation can see the resurrected Jesus, a forgiving and kind king. Don't lose your perspective on the king. Don't lose your reverence, your respect, your holiness, the holiness that God has. Don't lose that. When you picture Jesus, when you picture him, you can picture him as a suffering servant, that is true, but picture him as king and picture him as Lord. Picture yourself as a brother standing before the king in need of forgiveness. Picture yourself, they can't speak, they can't say anything. This is where we need to be far more often in our spiritual lives, begging and asking for forgiveness. But look at what the forgiving king does. So Joseph said to his brothers in verse four, he says, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. They're like, yeah, we could remember that. And now, do not be dismayed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither be plowing or harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a remnant on earth and to keep you alive for many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's what Joseph chooses to say. It wasn't even you who did this bad thing to me. God sent me here, and God sent me here in this exact position to make something awesome happen. I am broken. I have pieces of me that have been completely shattered. But what God is doing right now in this story of redemption, he is creating life. He is preserving life, and he is protecting a nation that he made a covenant with through the man named Joseph, who now rules as a king. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord over all the house and a ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry and go to my father and, sell, and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me and do not tarry. Do not dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. Or you shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me. And all your children and all of your children's children and all of your flocks, your herds, all that you have there, I will provide for you. Verse 11, that is a key verse. There I will provide for you. The very beginning of the story, Joseph is elevated by his father. He's given a coat of many colors, and he's been given the responsibility to watch over his brothers as the youngest, and he's still doing it. All these years later, even though he was betrayed, he's picking the mantle right back up and saying, I will provide for you. There's still five years of famine. So uh, you would come, bring your household and all that you have. Do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and all the eyes of my brother Benjamin see. 
that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father all of my honor in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry, bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all of his brothers and wept upon them after his brothers talked with him. Joseph forgives his brothers, and not only that, he chooses to bless his brothers. How can somebody have that perspective? How can somebody live that kind of life? It is not possible on your own. I'll tell you that. It is only possible when you have a good example. And you and I in the room have the example of Jesus Christ. But Joseph is living out of fear of God, not out of fear of man. He is not learning and seeking the approval of man. He is seeking to honor God. And God has called him to forgive in this moment. Look at what he says in verse like seven and eight. It's crazy. It was not you who set me here, but it was God. When bad things happen, you have two choices. You really do. At the end of the day, I don't want to oversimplify life, but honestly, this is true. When bad things happen to you, when you feel broken, when you are broken, when you are saddened by the things that you see around you, when you're saddened and distraught by the things that have happened to you, you have two responses. I'm going to throw this on the screen. Number one, you can try and play the king of your own life. You can try and play the king of your own life. What's the evidence is, what's the evidence that you're trying to play king of your own life? Well, there's revenge in your heart. If someone's hurt you, if you're feeling distressed, if somebody has done something wrong to you and you're trying to play the king, you put a proverbial crown upon your head, uh, there will be a spirit of revenge that you want to repay evil for evil. Bitterness and anger will rule over your heart. That's your first option when things go wrong. Or you can give into anxiety or fear if it's something that's completely out of your control, but specifically with hurt, you can choose to play the king. I'm in charge, and they wronged me, and I'm going to pull out my sword, and I'm going to execute them, right? Because I'm in charge. I'm going to repay evil for evil. You hurt me, I hurt you. That's how the world works. That's how I'm going to work. Or you have the second option, and that is to trust in the king. That's to trust in the king. What's the evidences of somebody who trusts in the king? Well, first of all, they have peace. They have peace. They're not worried about what's going on around them. They have peace. They have forgiveness in their heart, and they are repaying evil with good, meaning they will still choose to bless somebody who has hurt them. You have two options in your life, citizens, youth. You can play the king, or you can trust in the one true king, because you're a bad king. You make bad decisions. You're not very good at being the king of your own life. I love you to tell you that. You and I have the option when things like this happen to trust ourselves or trust in the king. It was not you who sent me here, but God. What a crazy perspective on life. 
I know I was betrayed by you. I know I was enslaved by people that you sold me to. I know I was in prison for so many years, but God actually was at the center of all this. And I trust in that king. Man, that is something powerful that only Christians have. That is a peace that surpasses understanding because we don't understand what it's like to be a perfect king, but we can know a perfect king. That's what it means to have peace that passes all understanding. We can trust our brokenness with the king. Are you trying to play the king or are you trusting in the king? What does your life look like right now? Out of those two options, are you willing to say, yeah, well, this is really messed up and I'm going to fix it? Or no, it was not you who set me here. It wasn't you who, who, who did this thing. It wasn't the evilness of man's own heart. God is the one who put me here. And he didn't put me here to repay evil for evil. He put me here to repay evil with good. He put me here to protect and preserve life. We need to trust in the king. Chapter 45, the brothers go back to Egypt, or excuse me, they go back to the land of their father and they go to their father. I'll read this for you real quick. So they went uh, from the land of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father, Jacob. And they told him, this is verse 26 of 45, Joseph is alive and he's ruler over all of the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when they told him the words of Joseph, what he had said to him. And when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, uh, the spirit of their father, Jacob, received. And Israel said, who is again Jacob, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is alive. I will go to see him before I die. Picking up in uh, chapter 46. So Israel took his journey with all that he had, and he offered sacrifices to God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions in the night. And he said, Jacob, Jacob. And Jacob said, here I am. Then God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt for there. I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Meaning I will protect you, your life until you see Joseph. And there Joseph will be with you when you pass. God promises to be with Israel. God promises to be with Jacob as they go to uh, Egypt. And so is, uh, Israel and, and again, Joseph, uh, Joseph's father, goes to be with his son. Here we have a pretty awesome family reunion in chapter 46. Uh, chapter 46, again, we ought to summarize some of these verses, but again, I would encourage you guys to read through these chapters. There's so much truth in them. There's so much awesome, uh, so many awesome things that we can learn that we don't have time to cover tonight. But here we have a picture of a pretty amazing family reunion. It says this in verse 28. He had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And Goshen is a part of uh, Egypt here. And they came to the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father in Goshen. Think about this. So many years have passed. The father thought, like, Joseph didn't know if his dad was alive. 
his dad certainly thought Joseph was dead. And even if he thought he was alive, I'm sure he didn't picture that he was like the ruler of Egypt or anything crazy like that. So this is going to be one emotional reunion. Verse 30, or excuse me, verse 29. Joseph prepares his chariot. He went up to meet Israel. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, now let me die since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. It's kind of funny. You're like, well, dude, you could probably still live a little bit. No, but he is saying, I can die a happy man now. My son's alive. He's alive. He's alive, almost as if he were resurrected from the dead. He's standing here before me. My son that I've lost for so many years is here before me. And not only that, he is protecting my sons, the ones who have betrayed him. Think of this crazy story. This isn't possible without God right in the middle of it. This is the story of redemption. This is a wonderful Reunion. God is fixing what is broken when the damage seems irreversible. God is fixing what is broken in this relationship, in these lost years, in this bitterness and pain. God is fixing what looks completely unfixable in this moment in time, because that's who God is. You never know when the story is over. You never know when God is done working, because God isn't done working. You never know when God is going to put pieces back together that you thought were completely shattered on the floor. God is always working. It says this in Joel chapter 2. I want this on the screen as well. This is Joel chapter 2, verses 25 and 27. This is a couple years later, obviously, in the Old Testament. It says, I, this is God talking, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, my great army, which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty, and you shall be satisfied. You shall praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be put to shame. And you shall know that I'm in the midst of Israel, that I'm the Lord your God, and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. This reunion right here in this chapter of Genesis is God restoring the years that the locusts have eaten. Though those years are never going to exist again when they were separated, God's work is so awesome here. And that's what this verse is saying, that he can restore what the enemy tried to break. He can provide in more abundance than what the enemy tried to steal from you. God is able to fix what seems to be unfixable. He is restoring what seems to be impossible to fix. A father and son reunited after so many years, weeping together. I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. This famine that's happening in the land would have wiped everyone out if it wasn't for Joseph's captivity, if it wasn't for Joseph's pain, if it wasn't a part of God's sovereign design to break Joseph and to create something new in him. Because we have to trust God 
with our story. We have to trust God with our brokenness because God is the only one who can do something like this. God is the only one who can restore the locust years. God's the only one that can bring order to chaos and destruction. Only God causes reunions like this. You never know when the Lord is working, when it seems like all you're doing is waiting. Keep waiting. Be patient. Now, this reunion needed to happen for the blessing of Israel to pass on to his sons and his grandsons. The final uh, point in this story tonight, we see in Genesis chapter 48 and 49, we see a blessing and a goodbye. Again, we have to kind of summarize this real quick. Um, but Israel, Jacob, he is, um, he's old. He's 147 when he passes away. And it tells us this, that uh, Jacob chooses to bless his sons. And Jacob actually calls uh, Joseph's two sons. Remember, he had two sons while reigning in Egypt. And he decides, this is crazy, Israel decides to pass the blessings that he has to Joseph and his sons. He basically adopts Joseph's sons into his current family. It's kind of like he was adopting his grandsons. And so this is significant when it comes to covenant theology. And again, we don't have a ton of time to get into it. But these sons break out and become the 12 tribes of Israel. And these two sons, the sons of Joseph, are critical in the story of the Old Testament and the narrative that God is writing here. If you look throughout all the Old Testament, you see the tribes of Israel don't really listen to God, but they're still blessed by God in this moment because of the faithfulness of Joseph. 147 years old when he dies, the nation mourns. So we see a blessing that he delivers to his sons and his grandsons, and he then passes away. Now, the story isn't quite over yet. There's one final few verses, a couple few verses I want us to read. Now, when Israel dies, you kind of know, like, if you have siblings, right? If you have brothers or sisters, if you're, like, fighting when your parents are around, they usually, like, shut down the fight, right? But let's say, like, your parents have trusted you for a couple hours by yourselves at the house. All right, you know, like, that's when the fighting can get real intense, right? When mom and dad aren't in the picture, things can go pretty crazy there, right? Siblings in the room, can we testify to this truth? Okay, so now the parents are out of the picture, and Joseph's brothers are thinking, uh-oh, was this all an act? because he was trying to be really nice to our dad. Now our dad's dead. Is he going to kill us? When Joseph's brothers, again, this is in chapter 50. This is in chapter 50, verses uh, 15 through 21. We're going to be on the screen here in a second. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive my transgressions of your brothers in their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when he spoke to them. Verse 18. His brothers came and fell on the ground before him. Again, they're bowing before him like God promised. And said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he confronted them and spoke kindly to them. The main idea of this whole story 
And what I would argue is the main, whole, like, main idea of potentially the whole book of Genesis. What man means for evil, God uses for good. What man means for evil, God uses for good. And this truth will change your life if you believe it. I don't say that lightly. I believe that this is true. This truth will change your life if you believe it. If you believe that God is sovereign over all things and he is able to bring good from evil, that will change your relationship with God. That will change your relationships with the people around you. That will change everything about your life because God is in control. God is the sovereign ruler of everything. God brings good when man means it for evil. Could God be using the pain in your life for his purposes? That divorce, that sickness, that betrayal, that attack on your character, that job loss, could God be using those things in your life to grab your attention and bring you back to him? Could God be using what seems to be crushing you right now to bless you in the long term? Could God be allowing these trials in your life right now to bless you in the future? Could God be using everything for his glory and your good? I believe yes. And the question is, what is your response going to be? Are you a piece of clay that's arguing with the creator? Are you simply upset and angry that you've been broken at one point in your life? Or are you trusting that God is making something new out of you? What does your response look like? Are you arguing with the creator? Or are you submitting to his perfect rule? What if the brokenness isn't just for pain? What if it's for something better? What if there's more that the creator has in mind for you and he doesn't want you to stay where you are right now? He wants to make something better. What if there is a more complete creation that will exist in you through the brokenness and the pain of your past? What if that is true for you? What's that? What if that's the reality for your pain? The story of Joseph, a man God uses to deliver his people through brokenness, through service, and yes, through pain, but ultimately for the deliverance of so many people and the continuation of the line that leads directly to the ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God preserving his people, creating something New. Joseph is foreshadowing, of course, the perfect servant, the broken one, the broken healer, the wounded deliverer, Jesus Christ. What man means for evil, God uses for good. You may be broken because of something someone did to you. God is using that. Now, I don't think God is honored. I don't think God takes joy in some of those things, the evil that happens, I don't believe but God uses those things for good. This doesn't happen. It's impossible, right? You're like, this is impossible. It is. That's why it's good news because it's true. God uses the things that we even mean for evil at some points in our life to ourselves or for others. Even God can use that. This is why it's so frustrating for the enemy. When he tries to advance, God uses those advancements for the kingdom. If you don't believe me, one final verse I'm gonna read over you. This is from the book of Acts. We read this a couple months ago on this stage. Acts chapter 2, 
This is Peter, a man who walked with Jesus, a man who knows Jesus, who loves Jesus, who is emboldened by the Holy Spirit in this moment. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him and killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosening the chains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. What man means for evil, God uses for good. That is a truth that you need to hold on to. That is a truth that is all throughout scripture. And that is a truth that directly applies to the life of Jesus Christ. Even though lawless men killed Jesus, God used it for good. He'll do the same in your life. You have to believe it. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're thankful for this truth. I pray that the story of Joseph would uh, remind us and challenge us all of our days to trust you, to look to you as our sovereign king and ruler over all creation. God, I pray that in the midst of our pain and difficulty, we would remember that you are unfolding purposes that we don't quite understand yet, and maybe we never will. Be with us in this moment as we wrestle, we think about these things, we want to take revenge, we want to trust that we're the king of our own lives, but help us to trust in the king that is eternal. God, we love you, we're thankful for these beautiful, nearly 20 chapters of scripture that we breezed through over the past few weeks. Help us to remember that you are working in us, your purposes. It is your will for our lives in many days to suffer, but not aimlessly, not meaninglessly. Like clay that's been smashed only to be recreated into something more beautiful. God, would we submit to you? Would we submit to your rule? Would we submit to your creative vision for our lives? Would we submit to your perfect plan? And we pray all these things. And we ask for the strength of you, God, and your Holy Spirit to guide us through these things. We ask all this in Jesus, your name. Amen.